This is the Passive Income Investor Podcast, hosted by Matt Dorn and Aaron Merriman. This is Aaron Merriman. This podcast features discussions and interviews related to conservative passive income investing. We focus on long-term wealth building and tax-efficient income strategies. Win by not losing. That's the topic of today's podcast. This is Aaron Merriman with Lujan Merriman Development Group, uh, 50% of Lujan Merriman Development Group. We are a real estate investment company based here in Southern California in Orange County. We focus on multifamily apartments in really desirable areas. Most of our stuff is coastal, and we focus on buying properties that are in great areas that we can renovate, uh, increase rents, and not only add value, um, but increase yield and do it in a low-risk or risk-averse market. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit win by not losing. There's a lot of volatility in the market. Uh, people are concerned about what's going on in Ukraine, uh, inflation, gas prices. And so we really want to focus on talking about fundamentals. So uh, Matt Doran, my co-host here, uh, Matt, great to be at it, back at it again. Um, talk to us a little bit about Sage and we can jump into this. Yeah, so Matt Doran, Sage Wealth Planning, which is a planning-centric, tax-focused, registered investment advisory firm um, domiciled in northern Michigan. We do have clients across the country, though, in various places. And um, as I said, we are planning-centric, so everything begins with financial planning in our business. Uh, We view investments as critical uh, parts of the planning process, but they're more or less fuel for the plan. And the plan is really where all the important decision-making occurs and the investments are intended to support the outcomes that people are trying to achieve. Awesome. Awesome. Great. So, you know, jumping in and we, we've been off a couple of months, so it's it's great to uh, get back and, and talk. And I, I think today's topic is is very timely and really resonates for me. Uh, win by not losing. You know, when I think about our strategy, and and we're obviously a subset of a balanced portfolio. When you think about real estate and the type of uh, real estate investing that we do, but you know, we we really focus on fundamentals and and making good decisions and really never losing money. I mean, knock on wood, um, you know, we've not lost money on a real estate transaction since we started back in 2005. And I think a lot of that goes into just the analysis that we do and the underwriting that we do. And I think, you know, part of what I see in the market and talking to folks is, you know, they really don't understand the the merits of just really trying to be more conservative, taking less risk and and you know year to year making uh, maybe a little bit less money than some high flyer investment. but the key is you're not losing money and and it's really a simple math problem because if you lose 10 percent this year, you need to make 11 percent next year and just over 11% to get back to zero. So when you lose money, it's it really can swing you hard the other way. And so, 
you know, from I'm excited to have this discussion today because from your side of the fence and looking at, you know, clients' entire portfolio and balancing, you know, nobody wants to lose money, obviously, but I think people going back to risk and, and doing all those kinds of analysis, um, it's it's important. And in today's market, you know, the stock market is is down year to date after a very strong Q4. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on inflation. I'm here in Southern California. Gas prices through the roof. Um, and then you have the unknowns of everything that's going on with Russia and the Ukraine. So um, uh, with that, I'll throw it back over to you, Matt. But I, I, I'm, I'm excited about today's topic for sure. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here and we likely don't have enough time to explore it all. But, you know, more than any, the math matters for sure. And, and I'll go back to an example that you gave a minute, a minute ago and, and expound upon it. So if you go up by 100% and then down by 50, you're right back where you started, right? And, th- and that isn't necessarily obvious, but if you go up 100% and give back half of it, you're right back where you started. And so last year, if the, if the index was up, you started with 100,000 and you went up just 20%, and now you're at 120, and then you go down 20%. It sounds like you broke even, but you didn't. You know, up 20% and down, then down 20% on a bigger number, you don't wind up right where you started. So the, the math matters for sure, but we recognize that we're managing emotions and behavior more than money, and cycles are not dead. They're just longer than they used to be. You know, through inventory control and <clears throat> and um, just-in-time uh, processes as well as better fiscal and monetary policy, economic cycles have been lengthened. You know, globalization has been part of that. And so cycles aren't dead. They're just longer. And the challenge with longer cycles is it's always the first time for someone. Right. So you hear phrases like this time it's different. No, it isn't different, but we are. Okay. So the last time we had a major, you know, protracted downturn in the market, let's say if that was 12 years ago and today you're 62, you were 50 then. And, and maybe you weren't yet retired and, and you're still pulling in a paycheck and still contributing to your account, which feels very different during volatility than if you're not contributing any longer, uh, let alone if you're drawing from it. So geopolitical events are not new. Spiking commodity prices are not new. Housing prices that are have really risen a lot, um, interest rates that are on the move, none of this is new. Uh, it's not different, but we are, and so it feels that way. And you know, on the topic of risk, if you're truly diversified, you always have something that looks like a dog. And and if you're really diversified um, for your clients, you always have something to apologize for. You know, and that's one of the reasons why the mistakes in the market for individuals get repeated is. It may not be obvious that if you're looking at your retirement plan options and you see something that's done well over the one-year, three-year, five-year, and 10-year, that sounds pretty compelling, right? It sounds, man, this thing's done really well over all these timeframes. Maybe that's where I should put my money. But not realizing that whatever the most recent performance was, especially if it was good, is it's dragging up the one-year, three-year, five-year, and 10-year number along with it. Right. And so as cycles are long, 
um, it's possible that one particular asset class or geography or or asset type could outperform everything for an extended period. And over and over and over again, something that's doing well attracts everybody's money because it's performing well. It gets a lot of attention. It's on the move. Um, things that have momentum get more than their fair share of new money moving in their direction. And then it leads to pain when the cycle changes. So one of the reasons we talk so frequently about why hard assets in the business that you're in and financial assets work so well together is that they, they're certainly positively correlated, but they have a low correlation and they're influenced by some similar things, but they don't move to the same degree when things are happening. And so it, having them both smooths the ride. And, and as I said, having a diversified portfolio smooths the ride. It's just sometimes not obvious why we might own something that seemingly has done nothing for us. It just wasn't the right time for that thing in the, in the cycle. But cycles aren't dead. They're just longer. The, those are great points. And, and especially, you know, your comments about timing. Um, because, you know, people, they come, they're at different stages in life. And, and your, your point about what a long, I mean, we're in a very, very long cycle, uh, of, you know, upward trajectory. Uh, you know, we, we had, um, you know, during the pandemic in the last two years, there's been a lot of volatility in different sectors. There's certainly been downward pressures. We've felt that in our sector, um, but we, we've fully recovered and are, and are beyond, um, you know, the lows of, of the pandemic and are past pre-pandemic levels on rents and property valuations and everything that we do. But when you look at people in their different life cycles and when they get into your universe, right, um, you know, somebody that became an investor of ours right before the pandemic hit is going to have a different view than somebody that has been with us for 10 years and has had very long-term, you know, good success, repeatable success. Um, and, and so, you know, perception becomes a big thing and, you know, having, having exposure to these different things over the long haul is, is, definitely the way to go in my mind. And I, and I think this is where we're very aligned um, when it comes to, you know, just consistently investing and not trying to time things um, and really truly understanding what you're, what you're exposed to. Because while the stock market is down year to date, you know, we, we are, you know, real estate is historically a great hedge against inflation um, we have had some recent sales that and some forecasted future sales that, that we're going to do very well on. Rents are up. Uh, so, you know, those are all really good things to have when your stock portfolio is, you know, definitely off its Q4 high. Yeah. And, you know, you, you said something that's often repeated, like, you know, be be in it for the long haul. And, I think a lot of things in life become very cliche. Like we've heard it so many times, it, it starts to lose its meaning. And and I don't know that when somebody says, you know, you got to be you got to be thinking about long term. You got to be 
you know, I don't, I don't know that they necessarily understand, well, what's driving the long-term then? What, what makes it better to be long-term than short, right? And so if you think about markets in general, uh, whether it's housing or, or stock markets, you know, population growth, innovation, and a rising standard of living across the globe are what make markets move higher, you know, as, as folks who don't have the amenities that the developed world has begin having them, there's more demand for those products and services. And really well-managed companies are trying to meet that need. And I think it's one of the reasons why, at least those of us who live in democratic countries, you know, take notice when democracy is under siege because a rising standard of living is based on market economies. You know, it's it's allowing those things to take their natural path. And and I think it's important not just from a humanitarian standpoint, um, but it provides opportunity that maybe otherwise wouldn't exist. And so the long haul really means giving things time to do what they do. So population growth, innovation, change, improvement, and a rising standard of living are driving a lot of what market economies um, support. So, but there's times when markets make fools of all of us, you know, and, and, and it certainly happens in both real estate and stocks. There are just good and bad times to get into things. Uh, if you weren't planning to stay through the cycle, there are good and bad ways of doing it. So, for example, um, the last time we had a major housing downturn was part of the problem there was that lending requirements were low and so were down payments, right? So if I had to put only 3% down and then I, I, I owe a massive amount of money on an asset that moves down 20% in value, I, I'm incentivized to say, well, I owe more on this thing than it's worth. You know, I'm, here's the keys. I'm walking away. And, and we saw a whole lot of that. So, you know, it's important to know that leverage can work in both directions. And, and as you mentioned, real estate is, is one of the most inflationary sensitive assets there is. And one of the reasons why it performs well when things are appreciating is because we're controlling a much larger asset with a small amount of cash. And the difference is leverage, but when it's going the other way, it cuts, right? And and so it's just important to understand that everything's a cycle and cycles are long. So certainly we should all have a strategy about how we're going to do whatever we're doing and then recognize that no strategy survives first contact with the enemy. So we should also have a strategy for how we're going to deal with change because it's inevitable. And, you know, winning by not losing includes the notion of, you know, having a set a strategy for selling um, or not selling. It involves allocating for changes that are normal and expected, and then locating things for the most tax efficient outcomes. And and that's a lot of the job of the professionals that that serve others is it's not telling people what to do. It's illuminating the path for how to do it in the most efficient way. You're listening to the Passive Investor Podcast with Matt Doran and Aaron Merriman. And today we're discussing winning by not losing. So 
Matt, I'm curious with your clients, and I and I know how we handle this on our side within you know investors of ours. But for you, and you're taking a more holistic global view with your clients, whether it's doing just planning or you know full money management. How do you handle clients who are coming to you these days with a lot of uncertainty in their mind? Their portfolio is down. Um, you know, they they kind of have the doom and gloom. I need to make huge change attitude. Yeah, well, and and I don't want to be cliche. It's the last thing I want to be. But I live in a cold climate, and I can tell you that um, you get your best price on a snowblower if you buy it in the summer. Sure. You know, and that's just kind of how it works. You know, if you can, if they're forecasting 12 inches of snow, there's going to be a shortage of snowblowers and a, and a upward movement in the price. So it's important to understand the seasonal nature of things. And there's a big difference between a company and a stock. So, so let me give you an example. If, if XYZ company normally trades under normal conditions, it trades somewhere between 10 times earnings and 20 times earnings, you, you should expect that that's a normal range for that stock to be moving up and down. And because you don't sell the, the goose that lays the golden egg for one golden egg. You know, the idea is that if it's going to continue to earn money in the future, we've got to pay a multiple of what it earns. So as soon as you reconcile that notion, you realize that everything that influences what that multiple is, is going to be discounted back to today and the stock price is going to reflect it. So if you're expected to grow by 20% a year and then a tariff impacts that projection, it's going to reflect it. A war is going to reflect it. A pandemic is going to reflect it. A new competitor, a change in the law. And so what's happening to a stock price is everything that can or should be known or people think they know is being discounted into the stock price right now. That's anybody's best guess of what the whole company is worth today. But if a company just goes about doing what it does and does it well, they're generating cash flow. They're, they're making profit. And so it's important for people to remember there's a difference between a company and a stock. So just to give you an example, at the beginning of the pandemic, both Coke and Pepsi fell dramatically. And you wouldn't think, well, why would Coke and Pepsi fall so dramatically? It's a beverage and food company. Did people stop drinking and eating because of the pandemic? And of course, the answer is no. But it may not be obvious that a third of their revenues come from restaurants, bars, concerts, and sporting events. And when something like a pandemic comes along and those things are closed down, it's logical to think it might impact their revenues, right? Well, when those things opened up again, the, the stock prices bounced back just as their revenues did. But markets generally don't go up on good news. This is an important point. Markets go down on bad news, and then they resume their upward trend as bad news gets resolved, right? It's very much a shoot first and ask questions later kind of environment. So when somebody comes to me after bad news is already in the equation and wants to move to the sidelines, generally speaking, what they're saying is I've already taken the hit to my portfolio's value and 
I'm going to accept that and move to the sidelines, which then conversely means they'll still be on the sidelines when the resolution occurs and the move, prices move higher. Because markets shoot first and ask questions later, right? So that's why it's so important to allocate for things that are going to happen. We don't even know what they are, but we know they'll happen. Geopolitical events are not new. That That is – that's really good stuff and, and great points because – you know, when I think about our own business and and real estate, and and you know, look, this has been our long term strategy. Um, we all we call ourselves opportunistic sellers. We're never in a hurry. And during the pandemic, you know, there was there was pressure on rents, especially in some of our L.A. markets, West Hollywood that we operate, and these are very desirable markets. These are these are markets that you know, with a renovated unit uh, can generate very healthy rents. But there was a moment in time, to, to your Coke example, where there was perceived pressure and everything needed to be on sale, supposedly. And, you know, for us, and this is part of the nature of real estate, that it's slow moving. We're not publicly traded. These are not publicly traded properties, right? It's private real estate. And so, you know, we know our business. We've been investing in these markets for a very long time. And just because in a moment in time, the market might say your property is only worth X, it's to your golden goose example. Um, I know that's not true. We're going to just sit back and continue to collect rent and be patient. And sure enough, we've done that just like Coke. Stuff rebounds, you know, people didn't stop drinking Coke and they always need a place to live. Um, and, and actually in some areas during the pandemic, people are, are coastal properties. People wanted to get out of that downtown setting. And so that helped with the recovery. Um, but the moral of the story is, you know, if you have a solid investment, it's solid in good times and, you know, times that are, there's downward pressure but you've got to just write it out. Yeah, and and you know the reason that financial planning and investing are so personal even though we might be trying to achieve similar goals or maybe even own similar investments is not everyone in the pool has the same agenda or the same time frame. Right? There's a lot of speculation in all markets and and so unfortunately the value of the investments that we own are being manipulated or influenced by the behavior of speculators or, you know, the, you remember the meme stock situation from early last year with, with uh, AMC and others. And, you know, we're not immune to the behavior of other people in the market, but we don't have to react to it, right? It's the same way when somebody buys a home or, or a stock on, with a lot of borrowed money, if the value starts to move against them, they're sort of compelled to do something about it to stop the bleeding. But if you're not that person, you don't have to react to the change in value. If the home you live in falls 10 or 15% in value, you, you still live there, right? It, it, it doesn't exactly. mean you have to sell it, but if you were speculating on its value moving higher, that's a different agenda. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, this has been great stuff, uh, great content. Thanks again, Matt. I It's always fun to do these things. So you've been listening to the Passive Income Investor Podcast with Matt Dorn and Aaron Merriman. I am Aaron Merriman, 
And thank you for joining Matt and I as we discuss winning by not losing. For more information on LMDG, you can visit lmdg.net. And for examples of some of our projects or see more videos from Matt and I, you can also visit youtube.com backslash lmdgre, or you can email me directly at amerriman at lmdg.net. For more information on Sage Wealth Planning, you can visit sagewealthplanswithaness.com, or you can email Matt directly at mdoran at sagewealthplanswithaness.com.